Hello and welcome to NFL First and Gold, the podcast. I'm Brian Weber alongside Eric Allen, the former NFL cornerback. On today's podcast, we'll take you round the league with Seth Joyner, the former Pro Bowl linebacker. Let's kick off the podcast with our NFL insider. Now, it's time for NFL Network reporter Ian Rappaport. It's the Rap Sheet on the NFL on TuneIn. Ian, always a pleasure, and everyone listening should be sure to check out Ian's weekly podcast, Rap Sheet and Friends, here on TuneIn. Let's start with an injury update. The Texans lost the Eagles dramatically on the final play of the game, and Houston lost Demarius Thomas in the process. What can you tell us? Yeah, Demarius Thomas went down with a non-contact injury. Actually, looked like he was trying to throw a block and just crumbled to the ground. Non-contact, never a good sign. And from what I am told, the belief is is that he has torn his Achilles, which, if confirmed by test, and, and unfortunately for Achilles, you can usually tell right away. Uh, so apparently, they know. Uh, this would mean he's lost for the season, and obviously for the Texans, a significant blow. This was the guy they traded for, uh, really helped kind of rejuvenate their offense, served as a uh, an able sidekick to DeAndre Hopkins, and now it looks like they are going to the playoffs, uh, but it looks like they're going to be going to the playoffs without him, which yeah. is tough. Boy, that is tough. Uh, really good game today between the two teams. Uh, what's what's the future of of Nick Foles? I mean, even if he, you know, even if they don't get to the playoffs, uh, what's the future of Nick Foles? Seems like we're back here yeah. again. Yeah, and you know, it is pretty amazing because it's it seems like every situation you give him, every time he look, he, he's the backup quarterback for a reason. Carson Wentz is the future of the Philadelphia Eagles. All you need to do is look, you know, look what he played like last year when healthy this year, which. You know, it wasn't healthy for a lot of it, but uh, when healthy, I mean, clearly he's the better quarterback. But Nick Foles is playing his way into possibly being a starter next year. And, you know, I'm not sure he's going to be in a situation where he would be just handed a job. It would probably be more like a Tyrod Taylor, uh, Sam Bradford type situation where a team would, you know, he's, he's likely to be a free agent, so it would be a new team. A team would employ him as the starter and then draft a young guy and sort of see what happens. Uh, Foles has been in a situation to earn some money and earn a realistic shot uh, as a starting quarterback, which, you know, considering a guy, uh, considering he was a guy who almost retired two years ago, uh, this has been a pretty unbelievable turnaround. Chatting with our NFL insider, Ian Rappaport of NFL Network. Ian, any update about Marcus Mariota who suffered that stinger in his shoulder last night in the win over Washington? You know, there's been no firm update on Mariota still undergoing tests. And I think for, you know, for the Titans, it's unfortunately, you know, and they're, they're still alive. Had a really nice, uh, really nice win yesterday, kind of a last second win. Um, this might be something now they're going to have to deal with. And he's gone down. They're calling it a stinger, uh, but he clearly went down on his elbow. He had an ulnar nerve issue in his elbow, uh, er, basically the funny bone, uh, earlier in the season where he kind of lost some feeling. And it just seems like until he gets to the offseason, this is going to be an issue. Um, and, you know, they, they have a backup quarterback, uh, Blaine Gabbard, who has been fine. But obviously, you know, if especially if they go into the playoffs, they are going to want – their guy out there um and just got to hope that he's able to you know if he has to miss week 17 i hope he's back for the playoffs uh i don't mean to be the downer here but uh give give us your insight on on josh gordon's situation in, in new england 
Yeah, Josh Gordon obviously indefinitely suspended uh, earlier in the week. And from my understanding, uh, this was for multiple violations of the NFL, NFLPA substance abuse policy. Not like, oh, he missed a test, he suspended multiple uh you know, multiple uh, violations and uh, more than marijuana, which, you know, un- un- very unfortunate. Clearly, you know, his decision to, um, you know, sort of step away for health reasons, obviously, and con- concurrent with the suspension is one that is necessary. And, you know, it's as far as when he could be back, from what I understand, being back by the start of the 2019 season is something that's not impossible. But he would basically have to start now and show a sustained period of being clean and and showing he's turned the corner. You know, far fetched maybe, but at least there is a shot. I re- I really feel uh, bad for him as a person and hope he uh, whatever he's dealing with he gets help. I think that's the main thing and most important yeah. thing first in football. Is, is yeah, I mean, I I would say. Yeah, and the, and the Patriots, they will retain his rights. They still have the ability to talk to him and help him and counsel him. And from what I'm told, they will kind of point him uh, point him in the right direction, essentially, um, as far as helping him get the get what he needs. You know, I, I don't know how it's going to end up. Historically, it's very hard for a guy to get back from banishment anyway, and he actually did it. Could he get back a second time? You know, I, I don't know. Um it's very, just as a person, it's obviously upsetting. We're taking you around the league with Ian Rappaport of NFL Network. Ian, let's transition to coaching news. Is Steve Wilkes going to be one and done in Arizona? You know, it's it's not looking great for Steve Wilkes, uh, to be honest. And, and, you know, from what I understand, no decision has been made. And there's still, there are options on the table, uh, things that Michael Bidwell will decide that could potentially leave Wilkes in play for, uh, for next year, I talked to Larry Fitzgerald about it last night. You know, in his mind, um, you know, he wants Steve Wilkes to come back. He said the team plays hard for him. And, you know, he said he's not just speaking for himself. He's speaking for the team. They want Steve Wilkes back, which is very nice and I think a really nice sentiment. The other side of it is the performance has not been good. You know, it's a 4-3 team with 3-4 personnel. There's a lot of former first-round draft picks that have either not been playing or not been playing well. It is... It is at the least a very difficult situation that they have to solve, and you know, letting Wilkes go at the end of the year certainly is an option that is on the table. Well, my my last one is where will the Oakland, Las Vegas, whoever Raiders, <laughs> where will they play next year? How about the San Diego Raiders? Says the <laughs> yeah. man who lives in San London, Diego, right? uh, San Antonio. I'll tell you what. San Diego is an option. San Antonio is an option. Uh, playing a couple games in London is an option. So is Oakland, by the way. But from what I'm told, Oakland would have to drop the lawsuit against the Raiders. I can't. Believe, I mean, it's amazing to have a lawsuit against the Raiders. But <laughs> Oakland would have to drop the lawsuit against the Raiders in order to make that a possibility. You know, it seems like the best possibility is um, playing. You know, in Santa Clara at the home of the 49ers. I just know it's something that Mark Davis just doesn't want to do, has never wanted to do. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's there's not a lot of precedent for a team just not having a home. But the Raiders play their final home game tomorrow night, and that is their reality. Ian, we appreciate the information. Hope you and your family enjoy the holiday week. 
All right, you too. Take care, guys. This is NFL First and Goal, the podcast. Now let's spotlight the matchup between the Buccaneers and the Cowboys with Mickey Spagnola of DallasCowboys.com. Now let's spotlight the Cowboys. They beat the Bucks to wrap up a division championship. Always a pleasure to check in with Mickey Spagnola from DallasCowboys.com. Mickey, what stood out to you in today's win? Well, the thing that uh, stood out to me, obviously, uh, the obvious thing would be the Cowboys' defense playing awfully well after uh, giving up the 23 points to the Colts last week. But uh, the thing that really stood out to me, if people were really watching the game, uh, was the fact that uh, seemingly a lot of the big plays the Cowboys made in this game were made by a bunch of young guys, guys that haven't even completed their uh, third year in the league, some of them not even their second year uh, in the league. If you see what Randy Gregory did uh, with the sack, force fumble, uh, the fumble recovery, and just the pressure he was putting on uh, Jameis Winston. If, if you look at uh, the key touchdown the Cowboys scored, Michael Gallup, the rookie, and I know it was only a three-yard catch, but it was a big catch in a place where the Cowboys' offense has been struggling. Antoine Woods, in his first year, uh, makes that tackle on the goal line, uh, stopping Jameis Winston from getting the uh, first down on that fourth down play to to stave off a a potential touchdown drive. Uh, Jalen Smith, let's remember, he's only in his second year, and... Uh, you know, he goes 69 yards, and I didn't see anybody gaining on him. I told him afterwards, I said, so you think anybody's going to ever ask about your knee again? He goes, would you please tweet that out? Uh, so, you know, he makes a big play. And then the rookie, Leighton Vanderesh, check out him, 15, sack, uh, 15 tackles in the game. Uh, the fact that uh, that's, a, that's a career high. And then the Bucks probably – uh, picked on him because he's a rookie on the onside kick, and he had no problem recovering that. Not to mention the the first-year kicker, uh, Brett Mayer, uh, ended up hitting a 59-yarder in his other field goal. So to me, there was a lot of young guys on this team that really stepped up. And I think if anybody's been watching this team, uh, this team has been growing up before our very eyes. Yeah, very encouraging. All the the youth uh, on on the Cowboys being able to get it done on both sides of the ball. But who are the Cowboys? Are they the team that played against the Colts last week, or are they this week? Are they going to be a balanced football team? Amari uh, Cooper seems to be one of the best guys in the league at some times, and then really not targeted last week. Uh, going to the playoffs, what should we expect uh, from this football team? Well, I, I think you can probably expect that this defense plays well and well enough to keep uh, this team uh, in, a, in a game. Uh, I understand what happened with the Colts, uh, and, and they just ran into a buzzsaw there. And plus, they had already won five consecutive games. I didn't think this team was going to win eight straight to, to finish the season. Uh, I, I don't think they're that good uh, to be able to do something like that. Uh, so the fact that uh, they've won five of their last six to recover from three, three and five. Uh, you know, like I said, it's a young team, uh, and they the, this the, this organization has won uh, two division titles now in the last three years and three in the last five. Uh, now, can they translate any of that into the into the playoffs? Uh, you know, and 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 that's what remains to be seen because this offense, as you mentioned, has to play better and more consistent if they're going to be able to score enough points to win uh, a playoff game. And you know, uh, 
I know that everybody expects great things uh, from Dak Prescott. He hadn't finished his third year in the league. Uh, and uh, as a starting quarterback, as a rookie to now, I mean, he's won more games than most guys uh, th- that were a third-year quarterback. So uh, he's learning. Uh, they finally solved a little bit of their uh, first-in-goal situation, scored twice in three trips. And, uh, you know, they, they've got the potential. But, again, it's a young team, so you get in the playoffs, you just really don't know what to expect. Mickey, we appreciate the information. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us again today on the NFL on TuneIn. Happy holidays. Okay, same to you guys. Next on NFL First and Goal, the podcast, let's break down the game between the Bills and Patriots with Andy Hart from Patriots.com Radio. Now let's recap the Patriots' victory over the Bills, 24-12, earning New England their 10th consecutive division championship. Always a pleasure to talk Patriot football with our friend Andy Hart from Patriots.com Radio. Andy, what would you take away primarily from the win? The running game. I mean, if you want to stay positive, and I think everybody in New England would like to stay positive right now, um, there are a lot of questions about this team, but when you look at a team that just ran for 275 yards in its first game, without Josh Gordon as maybe the passing game is looking to reinvent itself very late in the season here and all the questions about Brady and Gronkowski, when you can get that kind of performance against a top-10 run defense where you have Sony Michelle get over 100 yards, jet sweeps for Patterson picking up 60-something yards, um, that was a really nice performance for a team that isn't your same old Tom Brady-led Patriots. They don't roll out of bed, throw the ball 40 times, and score 35 points. Um, so you had key plays on defense, takeaways, and a uh, dominant ground attack. Yeah, very impressive with the running game. I thought the use of Cordell Patterson uh, throughout the game before he was injured, I believe, was was really key because he has an explosive. He's a bigger guy, so he can run through kind of arm tackles. Uh, is this kind of the formula for this football team? Or like usual, will they just kind of morph from week to week uh, depending on the opposing team's weakness? No, I think the formula is going to be, at the very least, a balanced offense where they can run and throw it and timely defense and maybe leaning a little more towards the ground game because, you know, right now you lose Josh Gordon to the suspension. You have Rob Gronkowski, a shell of himself today, three targets, no catches, one he dropped and it led to an interception. Chris Hogan, you know, a guy that was key a couple years ago for you, no targets, no catches today. This is a passing game that's really struggling. Tom Brady's season low for completions, attempts, yards, passer rating, and that's a week before you're going to head into a potential postseason game. So this is a new-look team, and I think they're going to have to run the ball. You're right. It may not just be Sony Michelle or Rex Burkhead. They may need the jet sweeps they got today. And what you were talking about happened. You know, Patterson got it, and there's a defensive end outside linebacker has a chance to make the stop at the line. He runs through the arm tackle, boom, turns the corner, it's a big play. They did it with Philip Dorsett. I think you may need to see the short passing game to the running backs quite a bit as sort of an addition to that run game because, quite frankly, they just do not have a lot of playmaking ability in the passing game right now. So they're, uh, they're reinventing themselves. They found a way to win today. They collect that, that hat and T-shirt for a 10th straight division title and NFL record. Um, but there's still a lot of work to do next week against the Jets and then at whatever point they play, whether wild card weekend or the divisional round. Chatting with Andy Hart from Patriots.com Radio. So, Andy, in addition to the positive of reestablishing the ground game, as you mentioned, 
273 rushing yards. Patriots got very good news from Philadelphia. The Eagles beat the Texans, so New England now potentially can be the two seed. Is it too simple to say if they don't have that bye? If they're playing a wild card weekend, they're not going to make it to the Super Bowl because history says if they don't have the bye, they don't have a deep postseason run. Yeah, that's what history tells us, and you know this season tells us that. If they have to go on the road a couple times, um, it's just not a good formula for success. This is a team three and five on the road this season and just played bad football almost in every game, portions of every game, would trail um, in every game on the road and just penalties, inability to run the ball, inability to – everything went bad on the road this season. So, yes, I think if they – and they were very fortunate today because obviously late in that game, Houston took the lead, and then you know the Eagles had to come back and win it. If, if they're the three seed, I just don't think there's a lot of confidence in Patriot Nation that this team can go on the road. You know they're going to need some help anyway. You know if they're the two seed to not end up playing in Arrowhead because I think there's a lot of trepidation going up against the Chiefs in Arrowhead. But yeah, I, I'm a believer that if they don't get one of the top two seeds, they will not be playing in Atlanta. And even if they do, it's going to take them playing better than they have of late to get to, to the big game. For sure. Uh, and say everything works out offensively and they're able to establish the running game and the, the quick passing game and throw the ball laterally. Uh, I, where's the defensively? I mean, this team has really struggled. And I'd say not just this year, but the last year and a half, basically. Uh, no sacks today. Uh, the, the leading tacklers are, are defensive backs. Kind of What's the personality of this defense and what should we look for to uh, each and every week to say, okay, hey, this is them. They're going to play this way, and it's going to be successful. What they want to be is bend but don't break. You know, sort of the classic Patriots defense over the years. You're right. They don't have a lot of playmakers on this team. They don't have a great pass rush. They've been giving up too many yards on the ground, not necessarily today, but in previous weeks. They, you know, Gilmore has been good, not great. He could have easily given up two touchdowns to the young, undrafted uh, Robert Foster, receiver for the Bills. One, he seemed to lose it in the sun, I guess. When he got behind Gilmore, it would have been a long touchdown, big play. Another right at the goal line hit him in the hands, and he just dropped it. So, you know, there's not a lot they can count on. They've picked up the turnovers a little bit. They got three takeaways today. Jason McCourty had a nice sideline interception. J.C. Jackson had a nice interception. McCourty had a nice strip um, on, a, on a play for Kroom that was down inside the red zone, a long catch and run. So I think that's what they're hanging their hat on. Just bend but don't break, force a few field goals here and there, force a few turnovers. But it's tough to play that way. That, that worked in the old days. That works when you give Tom Brady and a you know 30-point passing attack extra chances. If you are running the ball, not scoring a lot of points, not staying down the field on third down offensively, Sometimes you need a little bit more than that defensively, and they haven't shown the ability consistently to really do anything at a high level. So, you know, again, I think this is a team that really on both sides of the ball is still searching for its identity, still searching for its sort of key to victory in Week 17, and that's that's a unique spot for the Patriots and their fans because usually at this point they've clinched for three weeks or a month and they're sort of fine-tuning coming down the stretch. Uh, they need to beat the Jets, A, to get to where they want to go seeding-wise. They also need to find out who they are and what they're going to do well as they get to January. Andy, great information as always. Happy holidays, and thanks for joining us again today on the NFL on TuneIn. Merry Christmas. Thanks, guys. Now let's dig deep into the divisional matchup between the Browns and Bengals with Dave DiNatale from WKYC Television in Cleveland. 
The Cleveland Browns have come alive. They've won five of their last six games. They're now 7-7-1 seven, seven, and one after defeating the Cincinnati Bengals today. Let's talk about what's working in Cleveland with Dave DiNatale from WKYC Television in Cleveland. Dave, let's start with the juicy element in this game. Was there another chapter between Baker Mayfield and his old head coach, Hugh Jackson, with a stare down from the quarterback today? No question. I mean, Baker tried to play you know, coy and, and, and everything after the game. I don't know what you're talking about. Of course, you know, once he knew that the Browns had the game locked up after the, uh, the 63-yard uh, pass to Njoku there at the end, uh, you know, it was very deliberate and backpedaling as he was looking over at Hugh on the Bengals sideline and and I, I, I just think a lot of this goes back to um, it, 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 we saw it on Hard Knocks when you know Mayfield was basically called into Hugh Jackson's office and told basically, congratulations, you're the backup quarterback, you're the number two guy. And I, I, we, a lot of us have talked about it. I just think that that rubbed Mayfield the wrong way. And you know when when there was the coaching change and everything, it just uh, he kind of felt like okay, I can take a deep breath. Freddie Kitchens is going to let me run this offense the way I can run it. And, I mean, he's never looked back from that point. Uh, some players play with uh, a little better with a chip on their you know, shoulder, always trying to uh, create an angle for themselves to keep them motivated. It seems like Baker's doing that. But also, uh, I mean, he's very productive. Nine different receivers today, uh, 100 yards from your back. Uh, how, how potent uh, can this offense uh, be? You know what, Eric? I think the the, the Mayfield's ability to to get everybody involved it's it's that that idea of a rising tide lifts all boats. I mean, you know, a guy like Rashard Higgins was was really kind of a, a forgotten man in this offense. And now suddenly, I mean, he's become a, such a reliable receiver. Uh, Rashad Perriman's career has been resurrected because he's had an opportunity to play with Baker Mayfield. I mean, this offense is really dangerous, and I think going forward, you know, the Browns are going to look probably in the offseason to bolster the offensive line a little bit more and probably look to add another weapon as a wide receiver. But, I mean, they have, I think, all the tools you want to be successful uh, as an offense. And, you know, the statistics they've put forward here over these last couple of weeks have been pretty staggering. Dave, do you think interim head coach Greg Williams, who's been receiving cards and letters for years and turned down apparently, according to him, head coaching opportunities, has a chance of keeping this gig? Yeah, I think you know, when, when this whole thing started, you know, if you'd asked me, no, I don't think he had any chance. I think John Dorsey has, you know, his own pool of people he's going to look at. And I still think he's going to look at, you know, people, you know, that he's familiar with, you know, from his background, both with Kansas City and potentially with Green Bay. But, yeah, I, I think Greg Williams, and I also think, guys, Freddie Kitchens, the offensive coordinator, is also going to maybe merit an interview as well for what he has done uh, with Mayfield and the offense and the creative play calling he's put forth. And, you know, I think it, it, it those two guys are both going to get uh, a real close look uh, from John Dorsey and from owner Jimmy Haslam and D. Haslam because uh, for the Browns to have seven wins at this point of the season and be playing better 
in late December than they were at the start of the year. I mean, this is something we haven't seen in Cleveland in a very long time. Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, most folks, uh, when you mention defense, they talk about Garrett. But again, I'm so impressed by Denzel Ward, the, the young cornerback, and also uh, Randall and Peppers have been playing really solid football this year. Talk to us a little bit about maybe the back end of the defense and how good they can be in the next couple of years. Yeah, and, and you know the other thing is that they've they've added depth. I mean, they you know when when Terrence Mitchell went down, you know T.J. Carey came off the bench and did a great job. You know, on the other side of Denzel Ward at cornerback, and and really you know the, you didn't feel like there was a, a much of a letdown one way or the other. And then you know Ward goes down with the concussion, Mitchell comes back, and Carey is still able to kind of hold the the line there. I think you know having Denzel Ward has been such a it's been such a great find this year, and he he's actually back in concussion protocol, so I, we may not see him in, in the final game of the year against the Ravens, but um, to have the secondary solidified, I think it's allowed Miles Garrett and Emmanuel Ogba and Larry Ogunjobi and the rest of the guys on the, the front line of the defense, Joe Schobert, uh, to make more plays during the course of the season, and Greg Williams loves, I mean, Eric, you know this, I mean, Greg Williams loves to attack, he loves to, uh, you know, a defense that, that puts pressure on a quarterback, and you know, if you've got a secondary that can hold down the back end, you know, you, 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 can, you can be creative, and, uh, you know, Greg's been able to do that. Dave, we appreciate the analysis. Thanks for taking the time to join us again today on the NFL on TuneIn. Uh, my pleasure, guys. As we continue on NFL First and Goal, the podcast, let's take you round the league with Seth Joyner, the former Eagles Pro Bowl linebacker. Now let's take you around the league with one of Eric's good friends and his former Eagle teammate. It's Seth Joinder, the Pro Bowl linebacker. Seth, how are you today? I'm doing great, man. How are you doing? Haney, what's up, man? Hey, hey, hey. You know what? Whenever I hear you announce, they never say Super Bowl champ. You know, I, I've and again, we play this game so many years, and uh, of course, going to the Pro Bowl and all that stuff is great, but... To, to be on a team that won the Super Bowl, I think you need to always hear that at the end of your name, Seth. So congratulations on the Super Bowl. You're the perfect person to talk to as far as the Eagle team is concerned about the locker room and, and what's going on with Foles and the, and the vibe that's going on. Talk to us a little bit about how the team is dealing with uh, Nick doing so well. Listen, I just think that the locker room, I think those guys believe in Nick Foles. That's not to say that they don't believe in Carson Wentz. But when, you, when you're able to step in like he stepped in last year, when everybody thought that the team was done, you know, they got the 12 wins. And everyone thought when Carson Wentz went down that basically this team, their playoff run was done. It was the first time in the history of the, of the league, I think, where the number one seed was, underdogs in every single game that they played in the postseason. And they found a way to win. And I think this team, these players, they've seen what Nick Foles has done. They've seen what he's been through. They've seen him here. They've seen him traded to the Rams. They've seen his his career just disintegrate in front of their eyes. And then him go to go to Kansas City and, you know, Andy Reid revived him. And then he come here and win the Super Bowl, win the Super Bowl MVP. They just believe in him, huh? For sure. And today, I mean, 10 different receivers. I mean, you know, and you don't really have the asset of the running attack uh, that you had last year. And how are they going to continue to play at this level 
against, you know, a Houston team that, you know, basically defensively, you look up and down the board, have all those great all-stars, and you're wondering about where, how are they able to get it done without the running attack? And you think that ultimately will hurt them in the end? Well, I think, you know, their reluctance to run the ball all season long in certain situations has, has, has hurt them more than anything. Um, you know, they got away with passing the ball today. Nick Foles put the ball in the air today 49 times. And, you know, it's not that they can't run the ball because, you know, in games where they run the ball um, and they rush for over 100 yards, they're basically um, they're basically 7-0. and You know, today they ran the ball 21, 22 times and they threw the ball 50 times. You know, that's just not a good – you know, formula for winning for any football team, in my opinion, but they got away with it today. Um, I guess they felt like, and the thing about Doug Peterson, what he'll do is in preparation and game planning, you know, they look at the analytics, they look at uh, where teams rank statistically, you know, and he's done this all season long. You know, today, the um, the Houston Texans are ranked, you know, pretty high as far as their run defense, and they don't rank so well against the pass. So they got a steady diet of the passing game today, and it really turned into a shootout. But I just don't think that they can – I don't think they can prosper, you know, being a two-to-one run-to-pass ratio team. They've got to be balanced, and when they're balanced, they're a better team. They just got away with it today because the offense, the defense, played well as well. Seth Joyner is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Seth, it was a thrilling finish to the game between the Saints and the Steelers. New Orleans outlasting Pittsburgh – and with that, the Saints will have home field advantage throughout the postseason. In the NFC, how much separation do you see between the Saints and everybody else? I don't see a whole lot of separation. You know, the, the funny thing is, you know, as the season began, you saw, you know, these prolific offenses like the Rams and, and the Saints and, and Kansas City, you know, just setting the league on fire. And I said back then, you know, the, the defenses will catch up as the season goes along. You know, you're seeing, you know, these college offenses, these spread offenses, and they're throwing the ball all over the place. You know, and then Dallas, you know, hit the Saints in the mouth. And then um, the Bears hit the Rams in the mouth. And then, you know, the, the Kansas City Chiefs um, got hit in the mouth by the, by the L.A. Chargers. You know, and all of a sudden you're seeing these high-flying, high-powered offenses all of a sudden come back to the pack. Well, we're in playoff football mode now. We're in December. In December, these great – Coordinators, they're going to figure out ways to stop, you know, your high-powered offenses. They're going to figure out ways to shut down these wide receivers and these running backs that are doing phenomenal things. And now we get back to the tenets of football. In my opinion, they never change. You know, the offenses might prosper for a while, but the defenses always find a way to catch up. And I think that's what we're seeing right now. Yeah, that's a perfect segue into my next question for you, Seth, is who defensively uh, has stuck out to you and you would – called your defensive MVP this year and why? Wow. I, you know, listen, I still think that Aaron Donald, Donald is the preeminent defensive player in this league right now. Um, you know, he, he gets double teams, sometimes triple team, and they can't stop him. The Eagles did a great job last week of double teaming him and keeping him contained where he really couldn't get on Nick Foles. Um, but when I watch this guy play, you know, he reminds me of, of Reggie White because when he doesn't want to be blocked, he can't be blocked. You know, <laughs> and there's there's a lot of guys out there. You're talking yeah. about J.J. Watt, 
today, Lane Johnson, all by himself for the most part, shut him down. It took a double team all last week to shut Aaron Donald down. Khalil Mack, you know, he's having a great year, but he's not having an Aaron Donald type of year. Come on, man, 16 and a half sacks. 19 and a half at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, three more today, so it's up to 19 to change. 19 and a half, yeah. I'm I'm a little behind because I haven't hit my stat sheet. I just got off the air. Yeah. But, man, 19 and a half sacks. From the interior, interior, from the interior, and he's leading the league in quarterback pressures and quarterback uh, hurries. Hey, listen, <laughs> man, they're, they're right now there. It, it, it's not even close. You know, Fletcher Cox. You know, he's another one of those players that has that ability. But Fletcher Cox, you know, he takes plays off. Aaron Donald never comes out of the game, man. He never comes out of the game. I don't care how tired he is. He plays every single snap on the defensive side of the ball. And to me, he's the preeminent player on on anybody's defense in the league right now. Seth, we know it was a long broadcast day for you, so we really appreciate you taking the time to join us. And just so you know, I've been sitting next to Eric Allen for the last seven hours with a card that says, (laughs) Seth Joyner, he could have written Super Bowl champion at any time. Hey, listen, man. I, I don't, I don't worry about such superlatives, man. Hey, listen, uh, my boy, my boy knows I'm a Super Bowl champion, and he brought it to light. It's all good. Yeah. Ain't, I love, ain't no problem. I love you, bro, man. And I will call you, man. All good, man. Appreciate okay. it. Man. Thank you, Seth. Merry Christmas. Anytime. Merry Christmas, guys. Let's close out the podcast with the intersection of football and physics. It's time for the playing with science checkdown, where science and sports collide. And for that, we're pleased to be joined by our good friends Chuck Nice and Dr. Eric Goff. Guys, Dallas clinched the division with a win over the Bucks, thanks in part to the Big D Dallas defensive effort. Fellas, take us through the play. Oh, thanks a lot, Brian, and happy holidays to you and Eric. Uh, well, i got to tell you, uh, Professor, it seemed like a pretty exciting play. may look very basic, but I'm sure there's some physics and some good tidbits that you can give us. What's going on? Well, Jalen Smith got most of the glory on this play, but the play doesn't happen without the relentless pursuit of defensive end number 94, Randy Gregory, who was lined up on the right side of the Dallas defense. Winston took the snap in the shotgun, and instead of throwing or running, he held on for nearly four and a half seconds. That allowed Gregory to loop around in the backfield and catch Winston. My mind flashed back to a quarter century ago when the great Charles Haley, who also wore number 94 for Dallas, used to terrorize quarterbacks from the same defensive end position. When Gregory tackled Winston from behind, Gregory's right hand poked the ball out, and then his left hand gave the ball the perfect amount of momentum toward the sideline for what came next. After three fortuitous bounces of that delightful near-prolate spheroid, Jalen Smith scooped up the ball at the Dallas 31-yard line. The former high school track star then used the left sideline as his running lane. His top speed was 8.6 seconds. Uh, During the 8.6 seconds he ran with the ball was just over 20 miles per hour. He showed amazing speed on the return, but the play wouldn't have happened without Gregory channeling his inner Charles Haley and running 25 yards to get Winston. It was a bad play for Winston, who happens to be exactly 30 years younger than Charles Haley. Both celebrate birthdays on January 6th. Chuck? Well, it seems to me like you like Charles Haley a lot, but i got to tell you, Professor, uh, I am a born and bred green bleeding Eagles fan, so Charles Haley, not really my favorite kind of guy. That's all I can say. Uh, but you're right. It was a great play. There you go, Brian.
I can appreciate that, Chuck. I'm glad you had a chance to vent. Before we say goodbye, because the doctor took us back a quarter century, let's go back 40 years. Chuck, who shot JR since we're talking Dallas? <laughs> I believe it was Maggie Simpson. <laughs> oh, no. It was Kristen Shepard. Oh, the doctor for a win. Hang on, Doc. Let me raise the stakes. Who played the character of Kristen Shepard? Bing Crosby's little girl. What don't you know? Mary Crosby. You're right. I can't top that, so I have to wrap it up. Happy holidays, guys. We'll chat with you next week. That was the Playing With Science Checkdown. All free, only on TuneIn.